As you're finding your seat, I just invite you to uh, find your Bible. Um, if you uh, have a copy of God's Word with you today, I'd encourage you to take that out and uh, open up to the book of Hebrews. Um, if you don't uh, have a Bible with you, there should be one underneath one of the uh, seats in front of you, and uh, you are um, welcome to grab and use that. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that home with you. Uh, we're in the book of Hebrews, uh, which is toward the back of the New Testament. You can um, use that table of contents to get there if you need to. Um, we all always like to encourage that you get to see it and follow along with us as we look at God's word together. As you're turning there, I just kind of want to acknowledge, um, thank you for the prayers and some of you reaching out and kind of just checking in on me. Um, I was uh, pretty sick last week. I did not feel great. Um, it, uh, I, I, I got home and kind of crashed, but um, uh, I'm feeling much better, except my voice has not like kind of caught up with the rest of it. It hasn't gotten the memo. So I kept waiting every day. I was like, you know, I'd kind of wake up and I'd go to talk and I'm like, is this going to be the day? And it, yeah, this morning, same thing. So anyways, you have to kind of deal with this. I'll just apologize in advance if there's any um, un, unexpected or uh, kind of unplanned voice cracks um, in that. So um, just kind of keeping me humble and, and uh, reminding me uh, just how frail I, I am. But um, again, I feel much better. So I'm excited to get into the passage that we're looking at this morning. Uh, we are in a series in Hebrews. And for those of you that maybe weren't with us before, let me just catch us up and um, just so you can kind of be on the same page too. Uh, Hebrews is a really great book that was uh, written to a specific group of people. Now, we don't have the author, um, never identifies uh, himself. Um, The group of people actually was never specifically identified. But as you read through it, you can uh, sort of figure out um, who are the type of people that he was writing to. And um, uh, But what we can understand is that this was written to a group of people who were um, probably living in an urban context, probably like Rome or near Rome. And um, there's a good chance they were Jewish believers. and so uh, they were um, facing some difficulty, and uh, there was some, uh, some, some discouragement within the church. There was some, um, a little bit of, uh, uh, I think, fear that had crept in. Some were even maybe stopping to meet together. Some were uh, even considering walking away from Jesus altogether. And so this letter that's written is actually written to encourage uh, the, the, the church in their faith. And the, the kind of presiding, kind of prevailing message that is across the entire book as you as we go through, we're just going to continue to see this over and over and over again, is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And we've seen this before. We're going to continue to see this. But Jesus is better. And, 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 and we're just going to see the greatness and the goodness of Jesus in, in so many ways. And today is, um, is, is, is just the same. With that, though, um, there are uh, some enemies that we have in, in this process of, of trying to see and seek and understand that Jesus is better. And uh, there's, there's one that, as we approach now Hebrews chapter 3, that's where we're at this morning, um, the central theme that is being addressed here this morning is so good for us and so important that we look at. It's, it's this, it's, it's unbelief. And the idea or the thing that you and I have to understand is that we all um, need to or be prepared to or are wrestling unbelief. We're fighting against unbelief at some level, level at some measure of our life. And uh, there is uh, this, this battle that, that, that is there. And if I could, I'd love to just kind of give us a picture that's going to kind of carry us through this morning um, that I just kind of want to have in your mind as we think about what we're trying to do uh, this morning. This is kind of pressing on my mind because it's that time of year, but you know, it's 
spring, things are blooming, right? I love all the pretty trees and, and some of the flowers are starting to pop up. And, and um, you know, it's the day that we all long for in Wisconsin. Sometimes we, f- we think might never actually come, right? But it's actually nice out there. I know you had to kind of drive in the rain, but it's, it's, it's spring is here. And with that, um, in, 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 uh, I don't know if, you know, if you have a yard and you're tending for a yard, you, you have a sim- we have a common enemy. It's that little yellow weed, right? That, that It's not a flower, it's a weed, that dandelion. And as you drive, even if you don't have a yard, you, you know, because you see them and um, you can kind of, they pop up and, and it's amazing. I mean, you can mow over those suckers and give them like two minutes and they're like, poof, like pop right back up, right? And, and, and it just not, it doesn't, it doesn't take much. And they're, they're, are there, they're prevalent. And, and, and so I go, oh, I gotta like talk about this a little bit because I think this is so, sort of helps give us a picture of what we're trying to do um, today. When I moved into uh, the house that we're in now, uh, the yard had kind of been uncared for for a little bit. And so there was like a ton of weeds growing. There's thistles, there's, there's um, uh, dandelions, a bunch of other kind of, you know, creeping little weeds and everything. So I'm like, man, we got to get this thing under, like in order. I just, I like a, a nice yard that you can kind of, you know, play in that you, you can walk barefoot. And, and um, you know, and so it's, uh, I know maybe that's not your thing and you don't care, but, but I do. Okay. So I want, like, I want those, those yellow weeds gone. And so we began to, you know, treat that and spraying for it, trying to, um, I know some of you are like, don't spray for them. No, 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 they're, they're gone. Okay, so we're going to do what we need to do to get them done, gone. And so we're spraying for them. You know, I'm like digging out the roots and kind of going through that and kind of, but it takes some time, right? Because they had sort of, they had, they had established themselves a little bit. So it took a little bit to kind of get, get them gone. This year, I'm, I'm pleased to report that um, the yard is looking good and, and there are minimal, minimal uh, weeds coming up. But, but let me say this. Even in that, there's still a few that have kind of crept up. And again, that's why we're spraying and kind of uh, doing that. But here's the thing. If I wasn't to do anything, say I had moved in and just let it go, eventually those weeds would overcome, overtake all of the nice grass, right? They're more aggressive. They're, they're mean. They like beat that grass up. They don't care. And so they're like, they're going to win. They're bullies. And, and so it's, it, that yard would, would just kind of become just a sea of, of weeds and, and the nice kind of lush grass that's there would, would, would go away. Here's the thing. I want this picture to sort of be like uh, just a, a, a visual picture for us in our battle against unbelief. Unbelief doesn't happen all at once. It's not a wave. It doesn't just kind of explode. It, it starts with just one little kind of weed. And then that weed spreads to another weed, and that weed spreads to another weed, right? And it can, like, if it's left untended, it can take over our lives. I mean, if I could, like, kind of play out the illustration a little further, right? Like, my kids know that if that little white, you know, the, when the, they, they seed, that little poof ball that's so fun to blow, they're like, Dad says we're not supposed to blow that, right? Like, you can blow it in the neighbor's yard, but not in ours, okay? Like, I'm kidding. I don't do that. But maybe, uh, no. Um, but, yeah, you, I don't, like, they know. They're like, because it was, what? It spreads, it's so easy. It doesn't take much for those weeds to, to spread. And, and, and they're, they're pervasive. And, and, and just in the same way, unbelief in our life, left unchecked or left unmanaged, left unguarded, unbelief can begin to sort of creep up and have this. And here's what's so good about this picture is as we continue to, to kind of, you know, as you drive out from here, you're going to see all of these little yellow, and, and, and just would it be a reminder to us that this is, this is a real danger. And that's exactly what the author is talking about here is the danger of unbelief. And what does it look like to fight against it? Um, I, if I was to give you kind of the, uh, the outline uh, up front, it's, we're going to talk today about the progression of unbelief, the effect of unbelief, and the fight against unbelief. 
and we'll, we'll kind of walk through that together. But let me show you the central verses that, that talk about this. This is the central verses of, of chapter three. It's chapter three, verses 12 through 14. You can follow along with it. It says this, take care, brothers and sisters, okay, lest there be in any of you an un- evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For you have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Um, Here is the thing that we're gonna see is there is a progression to unbelief in our lives, the progression of unbelief. Let's um, see the context of this statement on unbelief and uh, you can follow along. Look at verse one of chapter three. Uh, He's continuing on from where we left off last week. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And we talked about this. It's like focus on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. Um, Think about Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. And just as Moses was also faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God." Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. If we are his house, if indeed we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. Um, There is a progression to unbelief. It doesn't happen all at once. And so if you think of it like that first weed sort of popping up, this is where I think it begins. It begins in an overconfidence. I think there's an overconfidence that if you believe in Christ Jesus, you're following after Christ Jesus. If we're not careful, we might have an overconfidence that this happens to somebody else, not to me, right? That I'm not susceptible to unbelief. And that's where I think he's kind of beginning and and referencing and sort of bringing up Moses is he's just kind of pointing to the people of God and seeing how even though they had Moses, who was considered the greatest prophet, he was considered sent by God, Over God's house, they still fell, the people of God still fell into unbelief. Um, Again, it's it's just kind of comparing that Jesus is better than Moses. It says that Jesus was the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Well, Moses was a high priest, and he was also considered an apostle. Apostle means one sent by God. It's a sent one. Um, And so that's that's all that apostle means, is is sent one. Um, But uh, high priest, we often think of, well, his brother Aaron was a high priest, right? Um, But but how much more so was Jesus, or sorry, was Moses a high priest? Because um, he, the the priest would represent the people before God. I can think of many times when, when, when the people of God sinned, And Moses went before God and represented the people before God, right? And so in that way, Moses was this high priest uh, before God's people. And greater than Moses, greater than an apostle, one sent by God, Jesus too, right, was sent by God to earth on mission. Uh, He was a high priest representing God's people before God, right? So even so, he was even more faithful than Moses. He was faithful in all of God's house. So we see that, that, that Jesus is better than, than Moses. 
Um, but, but, but notice this, it says that Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, right? Moses was considered this great prophet that was like, could do no wrong. And again, this is like having to do with this overconfidence, this thought that, that, that man, he's the, the greatest prophet ever. And yet we see that even Moses himself, um, he sinned and he fell short. And uh, this is what was said about Moses in Deuteronomy, uh, the end of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 10 and 12. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says, there has not arisen a prophet in Israel, uh, since in Israel, like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. You see, Moses was the one, he was used, this mouthpiece of God, right? Um, he was uh, called by God to go and to lead God's people out of captivity. That's who Moses was, right? God's people were in captivity. They were in Egypt. They were living as slaves. They were in bondage. And God used Moses to go and to speak to Pharaoh and to represent uh, God before uh, the people. And so all of these signs, all of these wonders, these plagues, and all these things were kind of being done at the hands and out of the voice of Moses. God it was God's mouthpiece there. And yet, what does it say? It says that Jesus has been counted more worthy of glory than Moses. Why? Because Moses was building the house, but he was in the house. He was part of the house. He was one of God's people. But what does it say? It says that the builder itself gets more glory than the house itself, right? So when the house is done, is it like, is it the builder or is it the house that's great? It's like, well, no, it's the one who built the house that did this incredible work. And so what it's saying is that Jesus is the builder of the house. So Moses, Moses was great, but Jesus is even better. Notice verse five, look at this. It says, now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. So he was in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful, what does it say? Over God's house, so not in it, over, not as a servant, but as a son. Notice that Moses was in the house as a servant. God was over the house. Jesus was over the house as God's son. There's greater honor, greater glory. It's just a reminder that, hey, Moses was still just a person. He was just a man. And the person we're following is even greater than Moses. If we are in his house, if we hold fast with our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And so let me just say this. I think this is the place to start with. That's why I believe that this passage and what we're talking about this morning is for all of us. There's not one of you here today that is un not susceptible to unbelief, Right? If I was to lay off the treatment of my lawn, going back to my lawn, right? Lay off the treatment of my lawn, what's gonna happen? Those weeds are gonna come right back in. If you start to coast and you think, hey, I'm good, I've got this, right? I would never, I would never do that, or that sin can't get me, or I, you know, I'm beyond that. The second you think that is when you have begun this path toward unbelief, that overconfidence. We have to understand that we are frail that we are in need of God's work and his help. And so we see that even Moses was um, not uh, greater than, than Jesus and, and his, his son. And so that the people of God are reminded not to be overconfident in their leaders or, or in themselves. He continues on, look at verse seven. He says, therefore, as the spirit of God says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion 
on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Well, what's that from? Um, When you see kind of the lines broken up like that, that's a quote. There's the quotations around it. The author here is quoting Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 was a psalm that was well-known. It was well-known because it references a a well-known place in the the life of the Israel. It was a place of um, sin for them. It was recorded for us in Numbers 14. And so what happens is, is that we see this, we move from overconfidence, the progression then is doubt. And this is the example that they're giving, that the author is giving here of doubt in our lives. What was, what happened in Numbers 14? What was, what what did they do that was, was so wrong? Well, what happened is, is Moses leading the people, they left the promised land. God gave them everything they needed. They went out. They were caught at the Red Sea. What did God do? He parted the sea. They walked across on dry land. Then he proceeded to lead God's people. By day, there was a pillar of cloud. By night, there was a pillar of fire. He provided for God's people food. Uh, There was manna, this bread, kind of bread-like substance. They would wake up and they'd have manna. He provided quail. Um, It wasn't like, I mean, it's not great food, um, it wasn't like, you know, the bad, like more like lunchable kind of style. You're like, mm. you know, but it, it kept them alive, right? He was providing for them um, in, in this way. And then he leads them all the way to the promised land. And Numbers 14 records what happens. What did they do? Well, they sent in a delegation to check out the land that God had promised back in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he had led them all the way to. They sent out 12 men as spies into the land to to assess the situation and to see before they went into it. And what was the report that came back from these 12 men? Well, they said the land's fantastic. It's incredible. Like, the plants are huge, the, the, it's lush, it's fertile, it's, I mean, it's an amazing, amazing land, but we can't do it. The people are big, their defenses are too strong. Who are we? There is no way that we can, that we can overtake these guys. This was the report back, not from all of them, from 10. 10 of the spies came back and said they're too big. Joshua and Caleb were the two, and they said, no, no, God's given us this. We can take it. This is ours. Let's go get this promised land. And what did the people do? Did they listen to the 10 or did they listen to the two? They listened to the 10. And they moved into this place of doubt. That's what was happening in their heart. There was this this understanding that, you know what, maybe, maybe God's promises aren't true. Maybe he hasn't really given us this land. Maybe we aren't able to. Could you imagine getting all the way there and then seeing it and then being like, yeah, I don't, I don't think we can still go through it. There was this doubt that had come into the people of God. And so they were questioning if God really said it. Doubt is what we see even in um, the garden, right? Like, did God really say Did God really say that this was our land? Did God really say that he was giving it to us? That's what they were questioning here. It moves from doubt into deception. That's the next thing in the progression. They were deceived in their thinking. They thought that they were the ones that needed to take out the people, that they were the ones that needed to to earn it, right? Oftentimes, deception manifests itself in our lives in fear, Right? There's things that we don't know, so we fear them. There's things that seem insurmountable, so we fear them. There's things that are out of our control, so we fear it. That's the progression as we move to this place of deceit. 
deception, not, not, not understanding, not knowing, being deceived in our, our thinking. And then we'll move from there into pride. And we tend to think that our way is better. Listen, the natural disposition of our hearts is toward pride, right? I think that I know my way is better than God's way. And at that moment, they had a choice. God had clearly led them to the place. God had clearly promised them the land. God had clearly given it to them. And yet, what does it say that they did? It said they hardened their hearts as in the rebellion. This day of testing, they put God to the, the test. For 40 years, they saw God's works, but they doubted him in that day. Their hearts went astray. They were as pride. They said, yeah, I know God said that, but my way is better. And listen, I, um, you know, as we were reading the scripture earlier, um, it's a new kind of place for me. I'm in the over 40 category now, so I'm glad to be in the club um, and um, trying to hang on to my hair as long as I can, whatever I do have. My kids are regularly reminding me that I have less than I did before, so I'm working on it. But, um, but, but here's the thing is, is in, in my years, now I'm, I'm approaching almost two decades of being a pastor, two decades of pastoring in the local church. And I just want to tell you, there are a couple dozen conversations that I've had over my years of pastoring that stick out in my mind. And they go something like this. I've sat down with men, I've sat down with women, I've sat down with students. And there's something like this where we'll unpack the word of God and there's an acknowledgement of what it says. But then at some point, there might be a choosing and an unwillingness to follow. And I can tell you the, the people, I can tell you the places, I can tell you the locations. There's one young man comes to mind. I mean, he was actually part of this church years ago. And I met with him. He was wrestling. There was some sin in his life, some, some foolish decisions that he had made. And I was kind of pointing him towards God's words and counseling him out of it and trying to you know, show that, hey, God's way is better here. And he's like, well, I don't know if that's really God's way. And I said, well, let me show you in God's word. And so we sat down. We studied God's word together over a couple months and we got to the place, and I'll never forget, we were at the, this restaurant over by the West Town Mall, and we were having lunch, and um, I said, well, where are you at with this man? We've been talking about this for a long time. And he says, I'll tell you where I'm at. I see clearly in God's word that he said that what I'm doing is prohibited. So there's no doubt in my mind about that. But here's the thing, I want to do it anyways. And I'm going to. And I said, well... I said, I'm really sorry to hear that. And at that moment, let me just be clear, there was no judgment. I said, do you feel judgment for me? He's like, no. I'm not judging you, but I'm just really disappointed for you. I'm, I'm broken for you because I know what you're choosing. When you choose to ch sin, you're choosing to suffer. There are not good days ahead, man. I said, this is not good. And what he chose to do was leave his family and pursue this other situation and he walked away from the truth that he knew in that place. And what is that in that moment? I'll tell you what it is. It's pride. It's saying, hey, I don't care or I don't want to believe that. And I'm just going to do what I think is best. And it's the hardest thing as a pastor. That's one of the hardest things that I have to watch is I have to watch People make choices. And I can tell you story after story after story where I've seen pride clip slip in. 
and things that are so clear on the outside, right? It's not like I have this, you know, <laughs> this you know, insane perception or something like that. It's like clearly right here. All I'm doing is trying to point towards that. But it is so clear. Sometimes it's, it's like, well, it's not that I don't understand it. It's that I don't want to follow it. That's pride. It's a dangerous place to breathe when we put ourselves in the place of, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. Because then that leads us to the next place, which is isolation. This is where we cut off God and we cut off his people. And it's a scary place to be living in pride, walking in unbelief without anyone in your life to speak truth into it or having God far away and pushing him off in the midst of that. That's a very scary place to be, but that's where it goes. This gentleman I was talking about earlier left the church and um, pursued his thing, cut off relationships, and then walked away from the Lord entirely. That is the place that the people of God were um, moving toward here. They hardened their hearts and they rebelled against God and it ultimately brought them to this place of not being able to enter the rest that God had given. This is the progression of unbelief in our life. So what then does it ultimately lead to? Like, where does this go? Well, that's what um, the author goes next, um, and in that we'll, we'll call the, the effect of unbelief. The effect of unbelief. When unbelief is fully manifested, what does it lead us to? Uh, we already saw in verse um, 7 through 11 um, what happened there, but let's continue on, skip down to verse 15. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, for... Were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? With whom will he be provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The effect of unbelief, there's kind of three that we see here in this passage, but it's this, it's, it's, it's a hard heart. It's a hard heart, right? He says, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Unbelief has the effect of hardening our heart. It becomes callous. It becomes protected or sort of, you know, uh, uh, this, 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 this kind of shell around it. And that's not a good place to happen. Yesterday, we had a work day. There was a bunch of people that came out and uh, kind of spruced the place up, planted some plants. Well, a bunch of the guys were moving some bricks. And what did they do? They went for some, some gloves. Gloves are great when you're doing yard work, especially right in the spring when we're just getting started. Gloves are great when you're moving something sharp or whatever. They protect your hands. Gloves or calluses, things like that, are not great when it comes to our heart. We are called to have tender hearts, church. We want to have hearts that are sensitive to the Spirit's leading, to his speaking, to his prompting. And if we're not careful, what happens is unbelief calluses over our hearts so we're unable to hear that still, small voice, right? that quiet prompting, that sensitivity to what God is trying to say to us in those moments. And so unbelief led the people of God. Like, how, how does that happen right? How does an entire nation, I mean, we're talking probably a million people at this point in time, a million people get there, and then there's this, this hardening of their heart to the things of God in this place, right? They get to the place, they get to the land that God has given them, and then there's this 
unwillingness to receive what he has given. They had hardened their hearts. That's the place that unbelief leads to. It goes on from a hard heart to contempt. If we're not careful, that's the next place that happens. It's a contempt. It's a contempt for God and a contempt for his, his working. See, there was almost this like, God, who are you? How did you lead us all the way here to just let us suffer and not be able to get in? Right? They even said it as much when they were in the wilderness. At one point, they got to the, to the, to the, to the sea, the Red Sea, and they're like, did you lead us out here to just get, like, to, to die here? Or before they were given the food, they, they're, they're, like, they're hungry, and so they're grumbling, and they say, Moses, did you lead us out here? We had good food back in, in Egypt. Like, why would you lead us out here, and this is all we have? And, and it's contempt for God and his plan and his working. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't often like to call it that, but isn't that kind of what, what it is in our heart sometimes, is that the plan that God is working out in our life, sometimes we respond with contempt to it. We're like, well, I don't like your plan, right? I don't want this plan. I want my plan. Well, that, that's coming out of and from unbelief. It's a contempt that, of God and what he's trying to do here in this moment. And then when it's given full, fully over, it leads to disobedience. Disobedience. The people of God disobeyed the decree of God and did not get to enter into the rest. It says that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It says that those who were laid to rest weren't those who were disobedience. Disobedience is a failure to do the things that God has said to do or doing the things that God has prohibited us to do. And unbelief leads us to do, to, to, to act in disobedience. Again, that's what this young man was, was doing. He's like, oh, I, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to act how I want to act, knowing full well it was disobedient to the Lord. And so unbelief can have a, just a terrible effect on our lives. So we need to be um, very, very leery of it. And so let me give you some good news. Let's talk about the fight against unbelief. How do we, if this is so bad, right? If this is where it's going, this is where it's, it's getting us to, how do we fight against it? There's some really great takeaways right here in this passage for us. And um, it comes right from the text in, in, in uh, verses 12 through 14. Let's read that again. I know we started there, but let's go back to it. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Three things there that we see in the fight against unbelief. The first is this, is that we need to give it our attention. We need to give it our attention. We need to give the fight our attention, but more than that, we need to give Christ our attention. That again is this, this drum that the author is beating over and over again. We started here. It says, consider Jesus. Holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We need to give it our attention. We need to give this battle, this fight, our attention. Well, how do we give our attention? Um, Kent Hughes, I think, has, has some helpful uh, points on, on kind of this, um, uh, this, this thing. And there's kind of four things. That, they're not on the screen, but I'll give them to you. The first is, is desire. I think it begins with a desire for the things of Christ, a desire for Christ himself. 
We have to stir our affections toward him. That's one of the things that happens as we gather in a room like this, right? And we sing together. We're reminded of, oh man, Jesus, you are good. Like you are great. I forgot that on Wednesday when that was going down, or I didn't remember that on Friday night when this was happening. But this morning, I'm reminded of it, right? And, and we, need to be, we need to have desire for, for Jesus and for his, his goodness and who he is. That's, that's what it looks like to give our attention is it starts with desire. It, then it has, there's concentration, right? Like we think about, we focus on. It says to set your mind on the things above. It says do not be um, uh, conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What is that? That's giving it our attention. We're giving the things of Christ our attention in this. And so um, that concentration is part of, uh, part of that. Thirdly, how we give our attention is through our discipline, our discipline. We have to discipline ourselves in giving the attention to the things of Christ. Now, I know that word is a word that some of us, we just don't like. We're like, oh man, I'm not a very disciplined person. And maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe there's parts of your life that you're not very disciplined. But here's the thing. I think all of us can be disciplined, right? There's certain things that you are disciplined in, right? I'm guessing um, that at some point you get some sleep. At some point you like take a shower. At some point you, um, you know, eat a meal. At some point, you know, there's some level of discipline somewhere. It's just kind of doing more of that. But here's the thing. I think sometimes we, we think about our, our, our following of Jesus and we think that we're just gonna kind of fall into it, right? That we're gonna kind of fall into maturity. I don't know about you, but I have never just found myself sitting in my favorite chair with a perfectly brewed cup of coffee, Bible on my lap, quiet house, and I'm just like, man, I don't know how I got here, but I'm just gonna spend some time with Jesus, right? Like, like I, don't, I don't just find myself in that place. If I ever am in that place, I went through a ton of effort or work or planning. I got up early or I did something. Like, I had to get myself there. Similarly, like, I've never just found myself, like, in workout clothes on a treadmill. Like, oh, man, like, how did I get here, right? Or I'm just, like, at the gym. I'm like, well, I might as well lift something heavy. You know, it's like, I don't just find myself, like, working out and, and, and doing things. Maybe you do. That's weird. But I don't, Okay. <laughs> Like, I have to choose that. I have to schedule it. I have to set that, side, that time aside. And if I'm not careful, like, it's the last thing. Well, I got, you know, there's always other things that I could fill my time with. And sometimes it's the, it's the easiest and the least life-giving things that tend to fill the time, right? But what we need to do is we need to discipline ourselves in the things of Christ. We need to discipline. And so, yeah, that's not a bad word. We need to take that off the bad word list. Discipline is actually a really great thing. It's okay to have to discipline yourself to pray, to spend time with Jesus, to come to church, to, to be with God's people, right? To open up your Bibles. Like those are good things. We need to discipline ourselves. And it's going to take the fourth thing, time. We grow our attention by giving to it the time. The things that you love, the things that you're pursuing, you're gonna give your time to. You're gonna give your thoughts. You're gonna give your, your energy toward, and it's gonna take time. And so that's how we live out what he's saying here. He says, take care, brothers. That's be careful, be intentional. Give it attention, brothers and sisters. Why? Lest there be in you any unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. The first thing is our attention. We have to understand, God, we're gonna give our attention to this. The second thing in our fight against unbelief, this is where it's really good. You're not fighting alone. There's exhortation, exhortation. Look at this, verse 13, it says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. 
We are called to exhort one another. That word exhort is probably the closest word that we have in the Bible to counseling. And counseling has gotten a lot of airtime, you know, recently. Like there's kind of been this destigmatization toward, um, you know, counseling or, you know, therapist or going into that, which I think is really good. Like that's, you know, it's a good thing because there's times like we, like people, I think for a long time is like, well, I just need to deal with this on my own. I'm not going to get some help that I need. And, and maybe, maybe there's a situation you're walking through that needs some, um, some, some help and you need someone with some letters after their name or you need some, someone who's kind of, you know, studied this or done, done some of that. That's great. But my fear is that we're going to swing the pendulum too far. And now all of a sudden counseling is something that only the professionals do. But look at, look at your Bible. What does it say? Who's doing the exhorting? It says exhort, say it with me. What's next? One another. Y'all, you guys, you're doing the counseling, right? You're doing the exhortation. We're exhorting each other in this. How do we fight against unbelief? We need to speak into each other's lives. We need to tell each other, remind each other about the goodness and the grace of Jesus. We need to help point out where there's error and where there's, we're going off course and where unbelief is beginning to slip in. And that's not some professional's job, right? That's not the pastor's job. That's your job. Like we're all in this together. This is why we need one another. We need each other. Exhortation. Here at our church, one of the places that we try and build this in is in small groups. And I know small groups are not perfect. Sometimes it's like, man, like small group, it takes some effort. Okay, back to discipline, yeah? You gotta discipline yourself to go to small, right? But, but there, what, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to be honest and open up and confess sin and to acknowledge need and acknowledge places that we're falling short and then to respond by speaking into each other's lives, like to, to point toward the hope and the truth that's found in God's word. That's an intentional place that we're doing it. And so I would just ask this, a simple kind of evaluation, like are, is there exhortation happening in your life? Two places I think it should happen. You can ask yourself these questions. Am I, is there people that I am exhorting in my life? Like am I speaking truth into anyone in my life? Who are you exhorting? And then who's exhorting you? Are there people that are speaking truth into your life? Who have you allowed in? Who have you invited in? Who have you pursued and asked to speak into you? You know, I think the great thing about one another is if we're doing our part in it, then everyone else gets blessed by it and you get blessed because everyone else is doing their part too, right? So if you go and you find someone that you want to speak in and you invite them to, well, you're helping them out because they're speaking. And then if you go find someone that you want to exhort and you're like, hey, can I speak some things into you? Can I help with this? And it's all coming from God's word, right? If you're following Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead the great counselor, like don't think you need to go off and get all sorts of training. Like you've got God's word, you've got God's spirit. I think you can at least get going in the right direction, all right? Like there's, there's some things you can do. In fact, I would say if we get really good at this, the, the, like the professional counseling, like the big problems, the things that you gotta call the pastor for or whatever, those things begin to minimize and go away. Why? Because we're catching it when it's little, right? Then you're not making the emergency call to the weed place and you're like, hey man, my whole yard is covered in things. I need you to just like set it on fire and start all over. Like, you know, do something here. If you just take out the one or two weeds, it's way easier then. That's what exhorting is doing. Exhorting is going out and like sniping out these problems before they grow into massive things, before they go up. 
And so rather than waiting until you, like, you're talking about divorce with your spouse, you need to, when, when like, there's tension or when things aren't going on, you need to say, hey, we're, we're not doing good. Could you, could you speak into this? Could you help? Could you walk with us? Right? Like, it doesn't have to get to the big thing. I'm telling you, the phone call that I get, and I've had this before, where, hey, you know, we're kind of last straw. Like, what do you got for us, pastor? I'm like, that's a tough thing. I'm like, well, I sure wish you would have called me like three years ago when you guys started kind of going off, <laughs> off mission like in this, right? It's a way easier to deal with then. How do we do this if we have people in our lives that are exhorting? This is how we guard against unbelief. We pursue it and we invite it. It says, but exhort every one another every day. It's constant. It's regular. If you have people exhorting you every day, what does that mean? They got to know you. Sunday's not enough, right? Like you can't get all your exhort. Well, I'm just going to go and get everything I need for the week. No, it's not going to work. Every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of the sin. If you want to fight against unbelief, you need some people around you. And then the third part of this fight is this. It's resolution. And I don't know how to say it any other simpler than what is right here is that we need to hold firm to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. We need to hold firm to Christ himself. It says, for we have come to share in Christ, what? If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. He's saying hold firm to Christ. And here's the picture that I think we have. You know, um, I meant to kind of share this earlier, but I think it fits here now too. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of, um, you know, kind of go back to this. Remember the wilderness, right? The people were walking through, the people of God. It was never meant to be the place that they settled down or were sustained. It was a place that they were passing through. It's an arid climate. It's, it's, it's not a ton of vegetation. Like it can't sustain life. If you're gonna be in the wilderness, you have to bring provision to be in there. Like you can settle down and, and maybe make it for a little bit, but you gotta go out to get some things and it's never gonna be great in the wilderness. This is what the people of God experienced. They were living in, and they were never meant to settle and dwell in the wilderness. Can I just acknowledge something? You know what, the life in the place that we are in, we are in wilderness church. If this feels like a wilderness, have you heard the phrase, like if it walks like a duck, duck quacks like a duck, like, talks like a duck, like, right, it, it's, it's a duck. If it feels like a wilderness, if it looks like a wilderness, if it's like, you're in a wilderness, like this life we live is a wilderness. What do I mean by that? It's never meant to sustain us. We were never meant to settle here. And so if things feel broken and things feel off, can I just encourage you by acknowledging that they are? They are. Things are broken here. Why? Because we were never meant to sustain and get everything we need here. Where did the sustaining come from? It came from God. Where was he leading them to? A place of rest, a place of promise, a place of eternity right? That's where Jesus is leading us. And so church, we are not to settle here. You're not going to find your fulfillment in your golf game or in your family or in your next career advancement or in whatever. Moms, as perfect as your kids are, they're always going to let you down, right? And so we don't find our fulfillment in this. This life doesn't sustain because it's wilderness. Jesus is leading us to a better place. And so what do we do? We hold firm to him, and I'm telling you, some of you are holding on and you're like, my arms are tired. Like, I don't know how much longer I can hold on. And that's where you need to look to the sustaining power of the spirit, right? The exhortation of others, fix your attention and he will supply what you need. But you're tempted. You're like, well, maybe there's something else I can grab onto. I'm telling you, there's nothing else you're gonna grab on that's gonna be a better hold than this, right? So just keep holding, just keep 
gripping. That's what he's saying is don't let go of Jesus because there is nothing else out there. And so they were tempted to let go thinking somehow that was gonna be better. Somehow we can just settle down here in the wilderness. He's like, no, hold on. He's bringing you to a better place. There is nothing better than Jesus. Hold on, fix your attention, fight against that belief that would lead you otherwise. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and for what you've, God, what you've given us, what you've shown us here this morning. And Lord, I just wanna, um, I wanna ask that you would strengthen our resolve in you. God, that we would trust only in you, that we wouldn't look to other things or that we wouldn't look to this, this world and all that it has to offer to satisfy. But God, that we would stay guarded against unbelief in our hearts, in our minds. Lord, I pray that you would help us with that. And so God, this is our declaration today. We declare that we are gonna hold firm to you. And we know that you offer us the sustaining power to do so. God, you are strengthening us even here today. Lord, even as we hear these words from your word, we're encouraged to keep holding on. God, this is exactly what you said you would do, that you would fill us with your strength. And God, remind us of your truth. And so would you continue to do that? Lord, help us as a church to do that for one another. God, we'll be faithful to do that. We love you. We thank you. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.